Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are in our series in Deuteronomy, and this one's called, What We Pass On to Others. The question for you to get started with today is, what's your favorite and least favorite attribute that was passed on to you by your family? Enjoy. As we think about the last uh, few weeks, what we're thinking about are these ideas of maturity, which is why we've been in the book of Deuteronomy in the first place. And today what we're trying to kind of hold on to is that maturity is learned. The maturity is something that we pass on, just like immaturity is something that we pass on. And I have never, I saw one laugh in the back, someone was like, yes, immaturity is factually something we pass on. <laughs> Immaturity's hard. None of us have ever gotten to a place of maturity and be like, it was just so easy, I found maturity in Bali. No, it's not hiding there anywhere. There's massages there, but not maturity. And when I think about through all the seasons of my life, I think through these seasons where I had to endure something, where I had to be in a wilderness, where I had to escape from some type of Egypt from something, and I knew that there was a promised land that I was moving towards or for, but it was in the in-between where I learned a lot about who I am, what I'm made of, what I'm not made of, how I hold resentments, how I figure out life, what it means to be human. And so I grew up in a good evangelical home. And so I went to the Harvard of the West, the Azusa Pacific University. Or as Harvard likes to call itself, the APU of the East. And being a good evangelical boy, studying biblical studies, obviously very lucrative. Azusa Pacific. I did all of the things you were supposed to do. I got married in college. Yeah. Frontal lobe was activated. It was great. (laughs) And so when I was a sophomore in college, I decided that I was going to do multi-level marketing, as one does. And so I took off my second semester of sophomore year to sell mangosteen juice. Anybody? Anybody? Let me tell you about the mangosteen plant and the antioxidants powers that you have been missing out on the last 15 years, my friends. (laughs) Needless to say, my mangosteen empire did not take off. Uh, The college kids that I was trying to sell $100 of bottles of juices to couldn't quite afford that. So they're like, dude, I can't even go to In-N-Out. How am I going to buy that shit? You know? So, you know, my dreams had failed, and, but going into my senior year, I, I got married between my junior and senior year, and I knew I needed to make up a semester because that end of senior year, my wife was going to walk across the stage, and I was behind a significant amount of units because I had taken that sophomore semester off. So my senior year, I had to do a 21-unit and then a 24-unit semester, right, while working 30 hours a week at a prestigious restaurant called Red Robin. So I'm... <laughs> Yeah, I had a wife and bills to pay for, right? So I'm working at Red Robin as a bartender. I'm trying to pull off these massive semesters. And I remember getting into the second semester, and I had not touched college algebra at all. I'm a biblical studies major, right? And so I have a confident three, so I told myself, no big deal. If I study for this test for like a few weeks, I can take the CLEP test. And if I get a 50 on this test, then we'll waive everything that I need for college algebra, and I'll be able to move on. So I actually studied pretty hard and I felt pretty good about it. And going into the test, like you sit down in the little room and literally like the moment that you're done, it gives you your score and you know if you're moving on with your life or not, all right? 
So you, you get done, there's that like one hundredth of a millisecond that felt like seven years, and you need a 50 to pass, and I got a 49. Sad. And it was in that moment that it, it like all came together for me. It all came together of how young I was and that I was married and that I just did a 21-unit semester and a 24-unit semester and I've been working and I'm doing all the things that I think I'm supposed to do and I'm stressed and I'm overwhelmed and I don't know how to figure it out and I remember just like, you know, like holding in those tears, walking home, like opening the door. Chris is like, if you've ever met my wife, my sweet wife, like, how was it, you know? And I just start bawling like a baby. I mean, like ugly crying, like, you know, it didn't pass. And what was so difficult about it is that I knew that because I didn't pass, I, I probably wouldn't get a walk with her. And I was just so disappointed. And it just was all these underlying emotions. And it's like, I've endured so much. I've gotten through so much. I've put so much work in and then this, right? And then a little miracle comes my way. That one of the vice presidents of the university, the next day I'm walking on campus and I just look like a dead man walking, puffy eyes, just who knows what. And he says, you don't look good. Are you okay? And I was like, you know, I'm not. I was like, what's going on? And I tell him this scenario because I had already gone to admissions and he said, there's no way you can walk. I'm sorry, these are just the rules. And I tell him the story, he's like, ah, you'll walk, I'll take care of it. And I was like, all right. <laughs> a little miracle out of my control, I'll take that. But I remember that year. I remember all of those different years in my life, all of those different seasons where you work so hard and you can see the promised land in sight, but you're just not there yet. And you learn so much from that time in the wilderness. I'll always remember the year that I thought my marriage was gonna end. That in one year, a sibling dies, I file for bankruptcy, and I think that I'm getting divorced. I'll remember that year for the rest of my life. I was 23. I'll always remember the year that I started New Abbey, leaving a church that was grooming me to take over, telling myself, oh, I don't judge myself by the metrics, I'm going to go do the faithful thing for God. And then for those first six months, as 10 whole people are sitting in my living room and becoming depressed because I had no idea how to understand my value or my identity anymore. I knew there was a promised land. I knew there was a day that this message and this more inclusive story of God was gonna matter to other human beings, but for those six months or those 18 months, I was depressed. And I had to look deep inside myself in that wilderness of how do I even get it on from here? And I needed so much support outside of myself. And each and every one of you, you have those seasons in life. You don't wish them upon anybody, but you know how they shaped you. And you know what has become of yourself because you went through all, all of those tribulations and those trials and that wilderness. And so here we are in the book of Deuteronomy, that all of the book of Deuteronomy from chapter three onwards is the people of God and Moses sitting at the edge of the promised land, looking in. Chapters one through three are just these simple stories of like they fought some battles, God did some work for them. And now that they're sitting there, Moses is saying to them, I know you want to enter into the promised land. You've been in the wilderness for 40 years. And before that, you were in slavery for 400 years. You keep hearing these stories of how once there was a land flowing with milk and honey. Life was so good back then. Back there, some rose-colored glasses, right? Promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but promises that you've never tasted of. And you're right here, looking in over the river, saying, I'm about to go there. 
And God stops the people and God stops Moses and says, before you go over, if you are going to do well in the promised land, you need to remember the lessons that you learned in the wilderness. So we're going to stop and we're going to pause and we're going to go over the laws again and we're going to go over the covenant again. We're going to remind you of the stories of how you came out of Egypt. We're going to remind you of the promises that were made long ago. We're going to remind you of the things that you have endured in this time because that's maturity when you can stop and take stock of your life and prepare yourself for where you're going. And none of us like that. We are Angelinos. We want palm trees and sunny weather, and we want things just to go smooth and right into the next thing, and it's always ticking up and to the right. But that's not life. And there are these moments, particularly when we're preparing for big transitions, that we need to look deep inside and say, what did I learn along the way? Because if I'm ever going to make it in the promised land, If I'm ever going to make it in that next season of life, and that next relationship, and that next job, if I start that business, if I, whatever it is, fill in the dots, then I really got to glean all that I learned from back here. And that's where we're at in the book of Deuteronomy. And so to talk about maturity and the lessons learned, we got to talk about some things. We got to talk about a backdrop. And if we're going to talk about the backdrop of the Bible, then we got to think about this idea of the art of remembering and how important it is. And if we can remember well together, then we got to think about whose journey is this actually. And if we can think about the journey that we've been on, then we're going to borrow from our brothers and sisters in the 12-step groups and talk about steps one through three, my friends. And if we can do steps one through three, then we'll be able to talk about what we're actually passing on. The backdrop for the Bible is really simple, that the Bible is always in movement. The Bible is always on a journey. The Bible is always going somewhere. But how many of you, like me, heard of the Bible as this concrete, absolute, infallible, never-moving Word of God? Not helpful. It's not helpful because that's not what the Bible is, and that's not actually your real life. The Bible is not, I say it in here all the time, B-I-B-L-E, ever heard that one? Basic instructions before leaving earth. That is awful. (laughs) That is awful, awful theology that should be thrown away with every left-behind book. All right? They should just go. Now, the Bible is a really complex story of human travails and figuring it out and thinking that you're working with the divine or feeling the absence of God in your life or making a journey or blood, sweat, and tears. It's, it's all of the complexity that we deal with. We always want to smooth it out and make it cleaner, make it work for middle-class America, but that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is this story and travail that we all enter into. It's the human journey. The Bible literally 99.9% of the time doesn't talk about an afterlife or what's to come. It's all about this life now and how hard it is to be human. As I say, the hardest job that you'll ever have is to be a human. It's a lot of work. It'll take you a lifetime to learn and you'll never figure it out. I was very encouraging on a Sunday morning. (laughs) But that's the fun of it. That's the joy of the journey. And we see that so clearly in the Old Testament stories. And they're the exact same story of the story of Jesus, right? The story begins with, right, there's all these people in Egypt. They don't have anything figured out. It is the powerless ones who are trying to overcome the powers of the world. Jesus, born in a manger to a little group of people, to a mom who like somehow got pregnant, which is weird, which didn't really work out in that culture. The basic point was you don't really have good statistical odds in the ancient world of making it, right? 
And then there's a journey of wilderness and figuring it out and following and discovering and crossing boundaries and becoming healthy and loving. That's the story of Jesus. That's the story of the Israelites. You've been freed from something and now how do you actually go live your life? And then there's stories of crucifixion and resurrection of promised lands and new beginnings. The reason that the Bible gives us that information is because that's every single one of our journeys. And as I say in here all the time, one of the most unhelpful thing that conservative Christianity gave us the last hundred years as it was trying to fight off whatever it was trying to fight off is that we took the Bible so literally we never stopped to take it seriously. And because we didn't take it seriously, we missed the truth of these deeper stories, the truth of what it actually meant to be human. So with that set up, let's read from Deuteronomy chapter 30. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep God's commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in God's ways. This is Moses speaking to the Israelites. Moses is about to go. They can see the promised land, and he's reminding them of the journey that they've been on, and he's reminding them of the journey that they're going to go on as they enter into the promised land. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter to occupy. He's saying, if you want to practice maturity, it might help you along the way. Just try it on for size, or you can go do your own thing, right? But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. I love that right there. When you choose maturity, it affects other people around you. That's how maturity works. You pass on healthy things. As we say in here all of the time, hurt people hurt people. When you're hurting, you tend to hurt other people in the exact same way that you're hurt. Transformed people transform people. When you're transformed, you tend to transmit that and offer that in a new way. It's the true of maturity as well. When you have enough perspective and experience and wisdom in your life, you tend to pass on maturity in a way that other people can hold on to, grab onto, and it helps shape their life as well. And it won't just affect their lives, it affects all of the lives of people around them. You make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying her, and committing yourself firmly to her. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Moses had finished giving these instructions to all the people of Israel, he said, I am now 120 years old and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has told me, you will not cross the Jordan River, but the Lord, your God himself, will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy the nations living there and you will take possession of their land. By the way, pause a second, because if this was a movie, this would be a dramatic moment. You're Moses, Moses. You were like born in like a river because your mom had to get rid of you because of like slavery and oppression. You grew up in like a palace of people that you don't know. You took lots of people out of slavery and you've walked with them through the wilderness for 40 years. You feel like you're doing pretty good. And your story is God's like, yeah, but the promised land's not for you. What? I would have some words to say to God right there, right? It's a lot like Jesus, that Jesus gets to the cross and says, I think some of the most human words possible, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even me. It's the equivalent of WTF. 
And we need these stories in the Bible. Hey, just because you think that you're doing the right thing, just because you think you're doing the good stuff, doesn't always mean that life works out for you perfectly. That's not bad news. That's just reality. That's part of growing up in some of this stuff. And that doesn't mean you can't live a great life out of the experiences that you have. But that might not be for you. And the only way you can endure that is when you have enough maturity to have a little bit bigger perspective of what's going on to even have a chance of being okay with those realities. And those are tough words. But I think they're words that we find in Scripture all of the time. Where am I at? Joshua will lead you across the river just as the Lord promised. Got it. The Lord will destroy the nations living in the land just as he destroyed Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites. The Lord will hand you over to the people who live there and you must deal with them as I have commanded you. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. God will neither fail you nor abandon you. Then Moses called for Joshua and as all Israel watched, he said to him, be strong and courageous for you will lead these people into the land the Lord swore to their ancestors he would give them. You are the one who will divide it among them as their grants of land. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. God will be with you. She will never fail you nor abandon you. This is a big moment of maturity for Moses. It's a moment of learned maturity and thinking about the things that Moses is passing on to the next generation. Let's not take it so literally that we don't take it seriously. This is a story for all of us that after we've endured some things in life, that we've had some experiences, then we garner a little bit of maturity and wisdom and experience, and we think about the world in a different way, and we think about how we're handing things off in life in a different way. I love how Richard Rohr talks about this idea of the first half of life and the second half of life. He's very gracious about it. He says in the first half of life, you're striving. You're trying to prove yourself sexually and economically and in your jobs and in your homes and in your relationships. And you know what? That's normal. You're trying to make it in the world. And then you get to the second half of life and you have a little bit of wisdom and perspective and you're like, no, I don't need that, right? That's why we caricaturize, right? Like the 60 year old dude who's like getting the red Ferrari still. Because part of that story is like, whoa, like relax, dude. You don't need your 20 year old girlfriend or whatever. You know, like it's, it's part of the narrative. Of what we're saying is like, how do you live well into the first half of life so that you can live differently in the second half of life? And how will that affect everyone else out around you is the narrative that we're being given here. And so what we're invited into is how do we remember well where we come from? How do we remember well the stories that we've been given? So let's do a little work here. Let's challenge some conservatives and then let's challenge some liberals so that everybody feels challenged. Sound good? Perfect. In the conservative world, what we've been told about the Bible is that we just need a lot of information. Just get more data, read more of the Bible, keep having your quiet times just in case, like open the Bible, lay it on your face at night, <laughs> like Psalms or something, you know? Not like Habakkuk, I don't know, just lay it there and you will be transformed by the very living word of God. <laughs> Except... How many of you have done that work? You've read the Bible, you've learned the Bible, you got all of your Awana gold stars, you did all the things you were supposed to do, and then your life still sucked. Anybody? Right. How many of you, I have a whole family filled of these people, know the Bible better than anyone, and they're assholes. And I don't even mean that rudely. I mean that it's funny. What we told people is if you just read more of the Bible, it'll transform your life. No, it's not. It'll just mean that you're a better reader. It's not the same thing. And so what we often do is we tell people, just get the information and get the data and you'll be okay. 
And then what ends up happening in the, in the liberal world, what we do is over here in conservatives, we want information. And for liberals, all we want is reformation, right? We let the pendulum swing. We're gonna be angry and we're gonna be louder and we're just gonna march on things and we're gonna take everything down in the promised land. And how does it work out for you as you get angrier and louder and then angrier again because of how loud you've been and resentful and cynical? Does it all change? A lot of times, no. You were just angry and louder. Just as much as you were laying a Bible on your face over here, over here, you're just losing your voice. Now, both are meaningful. Let's come back here. You need good data and information in your life. You need healthy advice from other people. You should march about some things and be angry at stuff that's going on in the world, but neither are the final stops and the final answers for your life. The final stop for your life is not information or reformation, it's transformation. It's when you've had time to actually sit with the information that you've been given. It's when you've had time to actually sit with the reformation journey that you've been on. When you can look deep inside and say, this is what works over here and this is not what works. And that's okay. And you can look over here and say, man, I was gonna burn every house down. And then you know, I looked around me and there was no houses left. That wasn't good, you know? You're like, what can I rebuild back up? And the process of transformation is where Moses is at. He's saying, I've been through some things. Remember guys, I was in the desert 40 years before any of you were in the desert for 40 years. I helped you all get out of Egypt. I walked with you all throughout that desert and I learned some things along the way. And I've been transformed by the process. And so as I'm transformed by the process, let's talk about the things that I've learned and that I'm remembering. And maybe you too will wanna take some of those things on as well. That's what Moses is offering. It's an opportunity for you just to take stock of your life. What are the things that are helpful? And what are the things that are hurtful? There's nothing wrong with getting rid of the things that are hurtful. And it's gonna be a lot of work to try on new things that are very helpful to figure them out, to see how they actually work for you. That's what we're being invited into. I did a wedding uh, at the beginning of summer and uh, after I was done officiating the wedding, one of these groomsmen came up to me and said, hey, I'm officiating the wedding for my brother. Can I call you sometime and just ask about what it's like to officiate a wedding and premarital counseling and, and all this other stuff? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So he calls me and he starts telling me about it and he says, what's your advice? I said, my first advice is you should never do premarital counseling for your brother, that's weird. But seriously, because some of the things he was asking me was like, well, what book can I read? That's not the point. You can read lots of great books. That's not the same thing as being a pastor or a therapist with experience and you've sat with hundreds of couples through their relationships. Those are two very different things. That some things you cannot get just by listening to a podcast or watching three YouTube videos or, right, or, or doing whatever you did, your Wikipedia bites. Something just has to be lived out. And I think for a room of millennials, that's okay. It's okay that we're not experts in gravitational physics after one Wikipedia article. The Lord knows I've preached on less. That's a joke, but true. Also, you can laugh too what you want with that, you know? Because I think that we're millennials and that's okay. But the point is, yeah, you need to learn some things, but you also gotta live some things and those things gotta go hand in hand and that's actually how you experience transformation. And all Moses is saying is, yeah, you have the data points, great, that's not enough. Yeah, you can go into the land and think you're doing whatever you want, but that's not enough. Wisdom is somewhere in between where you're constantly oscillating between both and you're taking the time to listen well to what God's doing inside of you and that thing is called transformation. That is the thing that will shape you on the journey as you move forward.
And if you can remember well in your journey, that will lead to maturity. And if you can remember well, then you have to begin to ask yourself as you mature a little bit, whose journey is this actually? Now, I know for a lot of us, what happens is, you know, we've been getting a little bit of woke in here. Anybody? Yeah? You've been a little bit more woke than you were a year ago? Four of us. Awesome. That's great. I'm glad we're doing this work together. It's really fun. <laughs> I think it's such a big deal. We want to evolve. We want to grow. We live in a magical place like Los Angeles in 2019. We just have the incredible opportunity to be surrounded by so many diverse cultures and peoples and have access to information. It's an amazing time to be alive, right? And, and we're, we're all becoming woke because we're hearing one another's stories and we're learning from that and we're challenged by that and we're growing from that. And when you're immature, what you want to do in the story is, well, this is where I'm at in my journey and my story, and now everyone else around me has to be in the exact same place that I'm at. Anybody? No guilty hands. That is unbelievable. Okay. Well, let me tell you then what I've been through. I've been through since I was in college that moment where I grew up in white suburbia, where the kind of food that I ate was a great mix between like chilies and P.F. Chang's, right? <laughs> It's just what I knew. It's just what I had. And I didn't know anything different. And I literally remember the first time that I went to sushi, that I was like, I'm so adventurous. <laughs> right? Can't wait to tell my dumb, dumb parents about this. You ever tried sushi? No? Mm, weird, right? I was smug. I do the same thing about theology all of the time. Oh, you don't know this? <laughs> Pity on you, right? Conservatives, they voted for Trump, right? This is what we do. No, no one's gonna go on that one. That's good. <laughs> I think the challenge is that we're called coastal elites for a reason sometimes. Is that sometimes as we're in this journey of learning and evolving and growing, there can be something where we do become smug in the process, where we think that we know better, or we're not gracious to other people with where they're at. And one of the hardest things that I think that we have to do is say, hey, this is what I learned in the wilderness. This is what I learned in the desert. This is what God taught me on that mountain. This is what I gleaned from, gleaned from Egypt. What if it's different than what you learned? And can I be okay with the fact that where I'm at in my journey is different than where you're at in your journey? All Moses can do is warn them. All Moses can do is empower them. But at the end of the day, they're going into the promised land without him. All I can do is work on myself and try to be just a little less obnoxious when I get to the Thanksgiving table about what I'm growing in this year. And the only reason I'm being obnoxious is because I'm reacting to the pain that I'm experiencing from these people over here. And maturity says, I get to see where you're at and see that you're in a different place. And I get to see where I'm at and experience that from a different place. And the just terrible thing about maturity is that when you're the mature one or the more evolved one or the more woke one, the onus is on you. It's now on you. You're the one who can see the bigger picture. And that is frustrating as all get out for all kinds of things, theologically, sexually, racially, economically, you name it. It's incredibly frustrating. We have a world crying out right now. And as we become more mature, we're going to have to do our part and own where we're at in the journey and trust, right, that other people are going to be where they're at in the journey. That my healing is dependent upon your healing and your healing is dependent upon my healing and our healing is dependent upon the healing of the world. So said the great prophetess Brene Brown. Yeah. And healing is a lot of work, but we can't heal other people 
We can't change other people. We can offer all that we can, but it's not our job to change them at the end of the day. The first three steps of 12 steps, I think, are incredibly helpful for us as we think about maturity on the, our journey. It says this, we admitted we were powerless over whatever, pick your poison, that our lives had become unmanageable. Come to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. I think that these are incredibly important because we all get here one day when we get a little bit of maturity in our bones. And we start with this reality of, I'm actually kind of powerless and there are a lot of times that my life feels incredibly unmanageable. And the more mature you get, oftentimes the more you realize how powerless you are and the more unmanageable that your life actually becomes. And that's not terrifying. Sometimes it's reassuring. Where the story in Deuteronomy ends is this, hey, Moses, hey, people of Israel, hey, Joshua, you gotta do your parts. You gotta remember well where you come from, right? You gotta remember that this is your journey and you can't change everyone else around you. And then you have to trust that God is actually in this with you. And I find it so interesting that in Los Angeles, in 2019, sitting in this room, are so many people going through a deconstruction process like ourselves and yet you still choose to sit here. Maybe it's for the pancakes and mimosas, I don't know. What it tells me is faith still matters to you. God still matters to you. You're doing all of the deconstruction that your hearts and minds can handle, but there's still something else in you that says, I can't do this all alone. There is something beyond me that I desperately, desperately need. And the story of scriptures are constantly saying, you got to grow up, you got to clean up, you got to wake up, right? That's the real journey. You got to mature. But you don't do any of that alone. You always do that with God. And that God is always for you. God is always with you. God is always ahead of you. And I don't say any of that in some trite way as if there's an equation that I could tell you from the stage that would make that more true in your life. God being for you and with you and ahead of you is hard fought, it's hard learned, and it takes a lifetime of seeing and listening to experience that. And I don't have the answers for it. In fact, I'm not trying to have the answers for it. I hope what we do here is never give you a better answer for how you experience God in your life, but simply help you ask better questions. That's what we're trying to do here. That's what we're trying to break apart not just deconstructing everything on planet Earth, but saying, is there anything that we could reconstruct that would put it back together? Because I'm still choosing this journey today. And how do I know it? Look where I'm sitting. And the road to maturity is incredibly difficult, but it's incredibly good. And so as we go on that journey together, I hope that all of us remember incredibly well each and every one of our unique stories. Would we trust that our story actually matters? that our story will actually shape other people around us. And because their story is different than ours, it will actually make me better along the way. Would we trust that as we are learning our journey and our story that we are not alone in this thing, that there is a God out there who is with us and who is for us and who is ahead of us every step of the way? Would you get into your groups and would you think about this question together? What about yourself do you hope to pass on to others? Enjoy.
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.